Hey everyone, I'm Charlie Shrem, and this episode of Untold Stories is sponsored by Coin Gaming, Permission.io, and Bitrex Global. You'll hear more about them later in this amazing episode. What's up, what's up, everyone? I am Charlie Shrem, and you are watching Untold Stories, listening to, but hopefully watching too, because we're on video, Untold Stories, where twice a week, really though, that's like a lie, because I record this show so much more, and I love doing it, but twice a week, you get to hear, I get to hear more often, but you guys get to hear twice a week how this crypto movement truly came to be. We get to talk to some awesome people. Today, I have Kyle Samani, the founder and general partner of Multicoin Capital, uh, on the show today, and I have so many questions, and we're going to chat. And we've been through like we've we've we're in chat rooms together, and we know so many of the same people. So it's finally time that we can get we can get on the show. So thank you so much for coming today. Hey Charlie, thanks for having me on the show. Longtime fan, been following the Charlie story for a long time. Great to be here. I don't even know what the Charlie story is, but I'm trying to follow that story too. Um, but <laughs> I know it's it's kind of crazy the world that we live in today. But um, no, I, I was going to say is that it's interesting because I was doing, I was doing some, you know, research for the show and I always like to see like people's progression over their life and then how they, what they did before crypto and then how they got involved. So, so you started Multicoin in 2017, which will probably be like, that was like a great year, but then also like a really bad year after that. And I, and I want to get into like that in a second and, and just kind of like your feelings and, you know, running this, this, this fund or whatever. Um, over these like crazy bull and bear market years and, and some of the, the token economics and things like that I want to talk to you. But before you got into into crypto, you were designing like software for Google Glass. That's that's so cool. Like whatever happened to Google Glass? Why did that why did Google abandon that? I loved I love the idea behind it and I and I had one. Yeah. So um I mean Google abandoned Glass because it wasn't working for kind of consumer scale. Um, you know, Google's obviously like a massive company. Like they don't want to deal with products less than 100 million users. Yeah. And it was very clear that Glass was not on that trajectory. And so they accept for that reason. So I guess the question is why it wasn't on track to have 100 million users. And I, I think there's there's two answers mm. to that. Um, one, the hardware was definitely way too early. Um, doing any glasses visualization stuff requires a lot of computation power and like you have a big problem of heat dissipation because like you can't get this thing hot next to your your head like that's actually like a big problem oh that's a good i never thought about uh, that that's a good point yeah heat, heat dissipation is a huge problem um and and the cut the battery like it's also you get, it can't be too heavy because then if it puts weight on your nose like it actually hurts your nose it's bad for your your breathing so there's a bunch of like very hard ergonomics problems to deal with um so that was part of the reason why it didn't work the other part, and this is this is more subjective. I'm trying um, to draw parallels between that and crypto. That's why I'm asking this question, as you can imagine. But what were you saying? It's not subjective. Yes. Yeah, so, so the hardware being too early is, is objective. Like there just was not enough power available. The, the more subjective thing is it's never really clear what it was going to be useful for. Um, so like all functions you do on your phone map to two things, input and output. Like you either read stuff or look at stuff or you like type stuff in or whatever, or like use your voice. And um, it's not clear that glasses are better for either of those other than maybe capturing photos and videos. Hmm. Um, and so like, I, I'm pretty skeptical of like the 
oh, we're all going to wear smart glasses and walk around and we're going to have like, you know, your LinkedIn profile is going to pop up and you're going to look at the store and the Yelp reviews are going to appear. And like all those kinds of things you see in movies and stuff. You think uh, we're I'm, I'm very far bad. away from that? Like, what do they call it? Not artificial intelligence, not virtual reality, but it's... Uh, augmented the, reality. Yeah, augmented reality. You think augmented reality is not something that we'll see in the next five or 10 years? It's still so I mean, far we, away. We already have it with like Snapchat is, is probably the market leader on this front. And like their, their tools are amazing, like visually to use. Um, but there's a difference between like opting in and holding your phone up and like having it just like passively be there as you walk down the street or drive down the road. And my intuition is that people don't want all of that noise um, on a passive basis. They want, if they want that level of noise, they'll opt into it. That's an interesting, like uh, that's an interesting perception to make that we don't want constant information and constant contact, constant contact, constant content given to us on a passive but like huge scale as we see with like people aren't walking around with virtual reality glasses all the time. And then at the same time, we do like, I don't know about you, but I always keep all notifications off except for phone calls from very important people. And I, and I'm hearing a lot of people are doing the same eventually because uh, in the world that we have where there's just constant information and annoyances, especially like tornado warning. Yeah. We had a hurricane pass over Florida the other day and I was getting tornado work, hurricane warnings and I'm jumping down in my bathroom. I don't even, I don't have a basement. We don't have basements in Florida. So where, where am I supposed to go? So like you're dealing with constant craziness and fear and greed and everything, but to kind of bring it all back to crypto, uh, those fears of like working so hard for something and really, really believing that this is the future and being a part of something, uh, you know, you were a part of that, like early Google Glass. And then now you're a part of the very early on, this is the early days of, of crypto when you got involved and you, you'd launched Multicoin. Uh, didn't you have the same like inherent risk or fears uh, that this was event, like that you're doing something kind of crazy? And then, I mean, you jumped right into a bear market for a year and a half. Yeah. So a um, few kind of comments. One, I, I think I have much higher risk tolerance than most people. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, much higher risk tolerance than most people. Uh, but it's probably irresponsible how much my net worth is in crypto. And like, I'm very happy about that. I, know. Um, I feel that. Two, I think you're probably the same is probably true for you. Um, two, um, I'm not employable. Like I've kind of come to that realization that like I, I just can't work for someone else. And so I have to start something on my own. Otherwise, yeah. I'm, I'm a lot of money. Um, so also there's kind of a, a intrinsic need to like figure something out. Um, it did, it did. When Tushar and I launched Multicoin in May of 17, or we made the decision to launch the fund in May of 17, we did think pretty hard about, are we too early? Is this, is this wrong? I was, my experiences with class were very painful because it was clear that it was too early. And being kind of stuck in something that you know is too early, it's just like you just kind of wait and hope the thing accelerates. Um, and so we definitely had that fear. And we were too early. We were a couple of years too early. But um, that's okay. We were able to survive and, and build a real thriving business and a brand. And, and so we got, we got kind of off of off the ground and got to some meaningful level of scale um, and were able to kind of survive the bear market. So we got extremely lucky. Last time around, I was not so lucky. Um, this time around, our timing was impeccable. And, um, you know, it was right place, right time. And 
be busting our asses. And so far, more things have gone in our favor than than against us. It's been uh, and it's been working really well. Um, the the uh, a good uh, you remind me of a story actually because I know you and 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 your your co-founder came from like the the medical health technology field and uh, you both worked in that. Um, actually, and I, I have to bring it all together. This show is produced by Blockworks Group, uh, an amazing production company. But the founder and CEO of that company, Jason Yanowitz, also came from the medical technology field. And I remember when I met him and I was talking to him, um, he said that no one would think that that's a perfect crossover of industries. And he's like, you would never think that. Uh, you wouldn't. You would think that coming from the banker or finance world, and then coming into crypto, and you know, just like you manages a portfolio, uh, manages all these podcasts and everything. But he explained to me that in in the medical field, uh, the amount of compliance and the amount of like work and the amount of like sp- things that are so specific, like in computer science, how a semicolon can throw off a piece of software. You're talking about people's physical bodies here. So, uh, do you agree with that? Yeah, I mean. I, I don't think of crypto and healthcare being similar, but like there is kind of a like you need to have a large attention to detail. I guess that's one thing. Yes. Um, what what really I, I, after kind of wrapping up my last company with Paul Pristine, um, I, I was I kind of were very jaded by healthcare and really just didn't want to be involved anymore. I was sick of the slow cycles and everything. And, and as I discovered crypto, what I, I realized is it's the wild wild west, and so. That was one of the major things that drew me to crypto was seeing the the pace at which the industry moved, and uh, I, I love that. Um, I want to talk about MultiCoin Capital's thesis because uh, it's such a big part of of how you guys invest, and it, and you you break it down into uh, into three categories on your website. But on the top, this is what you write: you write crypto will create the largest one time shift in wealth in the history of the internet. I think. Would you not argue that crypto will create one of the largest time shifts in wealth history? Uh, in, sorry, in the history of the world. Uh, yeah, we try not to make too, too big many, of a thing. Uh, hyperbolic statements, um, but yeah, I generally agree with you. Um, and and so, how does that? How does the uh, thesis expand on that? Yeah. So, I mean, the kind of core of everything that crypto enables is really about trust minimization. Um, the world is a big, complicated place. And like, there's a lot of compounding layers of trust in everything we do, right? So like, I'm in a, I live in a high rise. Like, I, 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 this building is, I don't know, 5 million pounds of whatever stuff. Like, if the architects were wrong about something, the building collapses, like, I'm dead. So like, I am implicitly, like, every night I go to bed, like, I'm trusting the architects, right? Like, this building's not going to collapse. Yeah. Same is true for your car. Like, like everything you kind of take for granted in the modern world, there's like massive amounts of embedded trust in how it all works. And we have lots of regulation to kind of deal with these things, especially as it pertains to like basic physics for like housing, cars, medical stuff, whatever. Um, what's become clear is that there's lots of layers of, of trust that like you can codify into software that are enforced real time where you can get rid of the human ink. Um, and it turns out the human ink, human component of a lot of these things leads to weird kind of freak out. Uh, whether that's car accidents or like you know, in your home or whatever, there's all kinds of weird, you know, edge cases. Um, crypto or certain types of, of trust relationships allows you to codify those things in code and verify them graphically. Um, 
And that's like a very profound breakthrough, like the nature of how like transfer risk between parties in the world and how economic relationships work. Um, and, and so I think that's kind of like the, the, the kind of massive opportunity for crypto. That's I realize what I just said is super abstract. Uh, and, and so we kind of have codified that into three our more tangible and those three theses are one, open finance, which is really a superset of DeFi. Uh, two, um, Web3, uh, which we think about as kind of enabling trust-minimized economic relationships beyond purely financial contracts. And three, the opportunity for non-sovereign money, uh, which I think you can most simply think of as digital gold, but actually I think calling digital gold understates the opportunity. Why does, digi- under, you know, why does that understate the opportunity by calling it digital gold is it like kind of like bringing it into something too finite? We don't know what the future is, so yeah. So, so the reason I think it understates the opportunity is um, gold. Like we had some perception of the taxi market um, pre Uber, um, and the biggest mistake everyone made in assessing Uber's opportunity was in modeling it as a function of the taxi market. And it turns out that by making getting transportation from point A to point B, you know, just 100 times better than it was before, you actually increase the size of the taxi market and you decrease the size of like the car market or like the individual car ownership market. Um, and, and so, in the, and that increase was like something on the order of 10X, um, right? And like, that's that's pretty crazy that I was able to happen. Um, and when I think about gold I, uh, and digital gold, I think of kind of a similar thing where like the market cap of gold today is like 8 trillion or something like that. Um, and I think that by by virtue of being digital and having some very ob- the obvious benefits of being digital, you get you know it's actually scarce, it's divisible, you can hold it in your head and not lug it around. I mean, like all the kind of obvious properties you get, you, you clearly expand the market. So you get some multiple of eight trillion. Is that multiple three x or five x or ten x? I, I, I don't know, but like you get some some multiple of it there. And, and I'm just kind of a, a basic and obvious the ability to just hold the thing. Um, I think the really interesting. When you layer on the kind of next gen emergent things, um, and I think there's kind of two major classes of next gen emergent things. One is smart contracts, or like DeFi, basically, like being able to do these things magically and automatically in software and code, and, and you know, do large scale uh, transfer risk between parties on a bilateral, almost bilateral basis. It's like Can clearly, kind profound. of get into that a little bit more. Like, how does that affect the the normal day to day person? So, do you mean like like will Will shares of our house be tokenized in a wallet on my phone and I can trade shares of my house with uh, if I owe some debt to someone, you know, like if I owe, I, I, I owe a store, you know, like let's just say I'm buying uh, another house, you know, and I want to trade shares for one house for shares of another. Like, is that what you're talking about? Yeah, so I kind of, although I don't think it'll play out quite the way you described. Um my co-founder Tushar likes to kind of joke about the theory that like cash shouldn't be a thing. Um, and that like in some theoretical future state of the world where you have like tons of liquid market, like you have your stocks, you have your gold, you have your Bitcoin, you have your crypto, your debt, commodities, whatever. And like you just, you have hundred percent of your net worth in those productive assets that you want to own. And then like, as you buy stuff and sell stuff, like you swipe your credit card or use Apple Pay or whatever, and that automatically sells whatever you've kind of pre-specified as like first to sell and yes. sells an exact yes. quantity in real time and pays that person, right? Your portfolio rebalances itself. So you have only yeah. working assets. Correct. So, so you have 100% of your portfolio in whatever productive assets you, you want to be in. 
It makes sense in theory. And a lot of people actually do that now. Like, you know, people who don't keep a lot of money in the bank, uh, just, a, a, you know, a little bit and they use their crypto debit cards or whatever. And then everything is kept in, in whatever it is. Or, But like, and I've been talking about sportsbet.io and their clubhouse, which is a huge community. When you play, when you make a bet, when you do a spin, they pay you with free hands, cash back and bets. You can play all sorts of games and they've been doing this for so long in a free, fair and transparent way on the blockchain. Well, that's not why I'm excited today and why I'm talking to you about this. Because now they're taking this community to the next level by sponsoring the Southampton Football Club. You're talking about millions of British football fans can now see the Bitcoin logo on the front and the sleeve of also the Walford Football Club. I mean, how amazing is that? You're talking about not sponsoring your company. You're talking about sponsoring Bitcoin and crypto. Millions of people around the world are now going to be seeing this and joining the Sportsbet.io clubhouse to earn more points, to play games, and to be part of that community. There's really no other way that you can use and spend your crypto and then actually earn more back and be part of this whole community. So listen, make sure you guys join Sportsbet.io forward slash podcast. Give them the support that they deserve because they're supporting us and me. Go play some games, get some free hands, get some free spins, and make sure you check them out and support them on the Southampton Football Club's first game. Whenever that's going to be, check it out. It's a crazy world when I tell you that everything we say, do, hear, see, sleep, everything that we uh, interact with the world is being constantly listened to, packaged up, and sold to other people without our permission. But we already know that. Don't you're you're not in your head. We know that. Why are we okay with it? We shouldn't be. We're not getting paid for any of that. Well, my sponsor, Permission.io, actually a very cool company, and you could check them out at Permission.io forward slash Charlie. They figured out a way for you to get a piece of the action because advertisers are going to be targeting you no matter what, and now you can decide which advertisers are able to do so by granting them specific permission and then you get a piece of the action. So you're like basically earning rewards for doing what you already do online, consuming the content and sharing all your favorite information. Now, right at this minute, only these tech giants are profiting from your data. You have all these like uh, Cambridge Analytica and all these like uh, crazy files that are coming out with how our data is being used against us to spin elections and fake news and blah, blah, blah. With my sponsor, Permission.io, that is about to change. If anything, check it out. It's so cool what they're doing and how they're doing it. You can get a special sneak peek at Permission.io forward slash Charlie. And thank you guys. Thank you, Permission team, so much for sponsoring and allowing me to do what I love to do and to do this show. So you've been listening to the show. You're ready to dabble in DeFi. You're ready to buy and sell some coins and tokens. But you go on some unknown exchange and you find out that you can't actually deposit or withdraw or trade any of these coins or tokens because you need gas. You need trading fees. You want to trade this coin or token. You need Ethereum gas. You want to trade this other one. You need NEO. You need Polkadot. You need IOTA whatever you choose. You just need all this stuff. Well, my sponsor, Bittrex Global has decided from now until the end of the year, they will not give you any trading fees or any gas fees for any of those DeFi coins or tokens. This is not some unknown exchange. This is Bittrex Global. They are a true OG. I've been trading with them since 2014. They are. They pride themselves on being the safest, most secure exchange. How do you get all these no no fees and no trading fees and no exchange fees and no, and no DeFi fees? You got to go on untoldstories.com forward slash Bittrex Global. 
That's untoldstories.com forward slash Bittrex Global. They are so cool. The company has been around for so long. They were the first company back then to have faces or names on their website. Uh, they were so transparent. They still are. It, it's very important to have a company in our space that's been around for as long as they are. So you feel safe and secure. But they're not being complacent. They're growing. Bittrex Global is offering no gas fees, no trading fees, only to Untold Stories listeners. This is an edge for you. You go to untoldstories.com forward slash Bittrex Global what's the what's the downside? I mean, you're just trading the same thing you're trading on other exchanges, but you're getting no fees, and you don't have to worry about gas. It's like going to save you thousands of dollars in the long run. Untoldstories.com forward slash Bitrex Global. Enjoy. You're right. Like, how cool would it be to have a credit card that's, like, secured by uh, your house or whatever? Not your house. I keep going back to that example, but like a securitized credit card against stocks or shares or tokenized assets or whatever. And like you said, it rebalances itself. That would that could be a very cool world that we live in. Yeah, I mean that's kind of the long one of one of the long run conclusions for all this stuff. We're a long way away from that happening, but certainly that's kind of one. And- so what what were some of the first projects that you guys invested in? Like, how did it all kind of come to be? Yeah. So the first thing that got me into crypto is Ethereum. Um, I was really drawn to Ethereum in 2016 uh, because uh, my experiences with Google Glass, um, I felt the pain of platformers compared to real way when Google built Glass. Um, and uh, so I, I understood the power of Ethereum as an open, decentralized platform that no one can take away from me. So that's what kind of pulled me into crypto uh, in the beginning. Uh, um, so Ethereum was kind of my, my first love of crypto. And my views on Ethereum have uh, evolved meaningfully over the last four years. Um, but that's kind of how I got into crypto. Um, in terms of things we got really excited about in 2017, um, the biggest one was probably zero X at the time. Um, we actually wrote a report on zero X in December of 2017. Um, we, we, we understood early on that trading was going to be the most important application on in crypto like that, that in was the long term or the short term in the, in the long term beyond really? like digital gold clear to us that the, that the most important functional application of crypto was going to be trading, trading risk with people. Um, and if you look at Etherdell, like you look at like what all we tried to do back in the day, or Masterpoint or whatever with their like decks, that never really worked, but that was the idea. You look at EtherDelta, you look at Zero X, it was clear that all of these people were trying to do trading. And that that because you got their assets represented on a block, you know, a blockchain ledger, people were able to trade them accomplishment. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so that struck us as struck us as profound. And zero X, what we thought at the time, was by far the most incredible play uh, on that. And so we, we put a pretty big position on zero X. There's a huge, like, kind of like uh, socioeconomic shift that I feel like is happening right now because if you look a few years ago, every crypto asset that existed were all, I don't know, let's call them like, uh, Pure, like, uh, not secured. They're not secured by anything. They're, 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 the value is pure supply and demand market, you know, market-based price, let's just say. So these are market-based price, you know, assets, and they have value simply because over the past five to 10 years, depends on the coin that we're talking about, the market has played itself out and people have attached a value to it based on supply and demand. You see that, you know, and for all Bitcoin's volatility, there is like a relative stability that you can find in there. Uh, now, and this, you know, my question will come eventually, but now that we're like 
getting into the whole tokenized and securitized world, it's still, it kind of confuses people, confuses me too, that you have under the same basket, these market-based cryptocurrencies that have values because everyone says they have value. Then you have these like stable coin and you have these securitized assets that are coming into play. And then you have like hybrids between the two. And there's a lot of confusion. Uh, how do you see that balance happening? Uh, do you think that we'll see less market-based crypto assets like over time? We'll see less of them and you'll see more of that like tokenized synthetic asset world coming into play? Or like, like are the Bitcoins and Ethereums of the world going away is my question, essentially. Um, Not like going away, but you won't see as many of those be launched and started. Yeah, so I think there's Bitcoin and Ethereum are not valued; they're priced, um, and because there's no cash flows, you can't, you can't run a DCF on. Yeah, it's a great point. And um, yeah, I, the market is not going to support that many uh, such assets. Um, and so, yeah, like I'm, I'm not optimistic that we're going to have ten more Bitcoin Ethereum like things. Um, liquidity will concentrate on just a handful of those. Um, and actually, I have good theories on, on why Ethereum will be in the long run. Um, I think the, the more interesting opportunities and the stuff, a lot of stuff we like to invest in that, that's new and weird and crazy is stuff that they're definitely not securities, but they, they are capital assets, meaning that they produce cash flows of some form, and therefore you can value them using a DCF. So you're talking um, about like... Like a, a crypto asset that that's not tied to a physical or like company or whatever that produces its own, like it's like its own business or produces its own cash flow. So those could. Correct. So the first kind of high profile example of that was probably Maker. Um, now yeah. Maker's never really, Maker's not really producing cash flows, but Maker theoretically can produce cash flows. MKR. Um, I, the more interestingly, if you look kind of now, like where the really interesting opportunities are, looking at stuff like Aave, like Thorchain, like Perpetual Protocol, like Serum, uh, like Helium, these kinds of things, where you can look at these protocols, look at the how this line demand works and how they're used, you can actually produce you know objective valuation models um, for these things. They're not companies, they're not equity. They can, can use equity-like valuation models to value them, but they're not equity. But like they can actually. I think that's like a super interesting opportunity. I think most of the new stuff is involved in that project. I kind of like, how, how do you see the connections between um, like, will Bitcoin and some of these other coins eventually become collector's items? Well, Bitcoin is not a good example of that. But some of these other coins, we haven't seen many coins of the like die. Well, they do die, but what happens to them? They just trade into negativity it's kind of like a weird no one sees those anymore yeah so there's people who've done more thorough studies on like how do coins die that, than i have we've kind of joked about it internally because like there's a lot of things that we live for litecoin kind of being an example um and like the answer is like there's a meme and like on Coinbase and now it's on PayPal. And so like, I guess some people will buy it. And if some people will buy it, then like miners will keep mining it. But if miners keep mining it, then, you know, like it's just going, right? Yeah. Um, and so 
but yeah, like it's killing a killing a coin is pretty hard. We have had stuff that's died. Like a lot of the stuff from the 2013 era has dead has has died. Name coin and peer coin and I forget feather coin. A bunch of those early ones like have gone away. Um, but remarkably, stuff like Ripple, stuff like Litecoin, uh, I mean, even stuff like you know like Nem, Ripple, um, like a lot of those things that like they're basically yeah. they anything. like they're still large market caps, which is pretty crazy. It's funny that you 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 kind of like basket ripple into that into that subject but um and because i agree with you let's talk about like uh on-chain governance for a second does it work i mean we're seeing with things like uniswap nowadays you talk billions of dollars locked up they're not sure what's going to happen no proposals are coming out so for those who don't know like uniswap you know if you're holding the uh the governance tokens of uniswap you have the ability to vote and put proposals and now i think farming is supposed to end and on the 17th or the 18th, you're going to have like a billion dollars worth of Ether that will just be unlocked all of a sudden. So, I mean, who knows what the volatility is going to be like next week. But uh, on-chain governance, I still don't think we are anywhere close to a good working solution. Like if you were to start a country right now and you need to figure out the best way to do governance, like I wouldn't be looking at blockchain governance as something that uh, – something that I would use just because it's it's still very experimental. But that's my opinion. What about you? Yeah, strongly agree. Um, I'm not a governance expert and like there I haven't played all various ways and opportunities to do this stuff. Um, it, it's the reality with these things is that the, the teams like the core founding teams have so much soft power yeah. um, that like it's very hard to divorce their desires from what ends up happening. Um, like almost impossible. I mean, you look at Satoshi, so like what because Satoshi he disappeared, he barely wrote anything political, and and there have been forked coins that have been fighting over Satoshi's vision. Right, exactly. Um, and and look, maybe Satoshi understood all the social dynamics, maybe, maybe he didn't. But today the, the reality is Bitcoin's one of Bitcoin's design features is that there is no hard-coded governance in the system. Um, the, my, my intuition is that layer ones, you do not want to have governance baked in the system. Um, but at, at, for DeFi-like applications, uh, actually, it makes a ton of... You basically need to have governance because look at something like, for example, Compound. Um, like you, you need some mechanism to approve adding new assets as collateral in the system. Yeah. Um, and if you have crappy assets, that creates risk for the entire collateral pool. And so... Like, like you need to have some human subjectivity and some sort of collective agreement on managing risk in the pool. Like that actually must exist. But it creates attack vectors too. It does. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not saying it doesn't have downsides. It's like a perfect like balance. The, the nature of the problem Compounder Ave is trying to solve is one that you need to have human subjectivity weigh in on like the, the process of managing risk in the system. Um, and so I think governance is going to be a lot more important for the for applications as opposed to layer ones, I think layer ones having governance is, the, is a bug. the systems need to have more like life or death type of situations. What I mean by that is that one of the reasons governance works is because when we're talking about governance, we're talking about the places that we live, and at the end of the day, we're we're unless governance gets really really bad, we're not going to leave. We're going to stick it out and try to work it out with on chain governance. 
those social dynamics aren't in play because people can, there's no, there's no TIL still. Like I, we joke, like you joke early on, we would, we created this, this score metric back in 2017 called token investor loyalty. And everyone's TIL is at zero because there's no token investor loyalty. It's all financial related. People, they can love, they can be part of the, the, the ripple army. They can do whatever they want. But at the end of the day, your financial like life depends on your, your decisions are going to be made by your financial life. You're not going to, you're, you're, you're going to make governance matter to you specifically because at the end of the day, the financial and integrity of the whole system is about you. But when you live in a place, there's that like collective that you have, that is like a social collective. I don't see that social collective in maybe in Bitcoin, you see that, uh, Ethereum, you see that maybe, you know, like if Bitcoin fails, you and I talk about it because like we're psychologically unemployable. Where are we going to work? What are we going to do? So for us, it is like a life or death situation. If there was an on-chain governance, think about this for a second. If there was, if you held the same amount of financial like uh, net worth in Bitcoin and in something else, right? That's brand new. You're going to, you're going to take care of the decisions that you make to Bitcoin a lot more than you will to that new thing, because your TIL in Bitcoin is like at a hundred, it's life or death for you or for me. That's why I don't think to, like governance really can work yet. Yeah. It, it, it's interesting. Like, and, and like some, some things is like you need to weigh the health of the current holders versus the future yeah. growth of the net. Like, like these are very hard problems. Um, I generally am a fan of like one of the things that crypto has made very clear is, is one of the benefits of private equity and private companies like Venture is you've got people who are, you know, they buy equity, they the founders, the venture capitalists, the employees yeah. or whatever. There's no liquid market for their, their equity. They can't get out. And so all of their decisions are made overwhelmingly on, on optimizing for long time rising growth. Um, and you don't have people who have governance authority making decisions on a short time horizon. One of the really big problems with crypto is you've got some people of a long time horizon and you've got other people of a very short time horizon. Um, and these protocols are still pretty early stage. Yeah. So you need to be optimizing decision making for long time horizon growth, but like you have a lot of stakeholders that are much shorter. And that, that's like massively problematic. Yeah, it's a, it is. It is. And it's not it's not like a quantifiable really yet. But but you look at some some comp they're trying to change that like with lockups. So like when you buy a token now from like a SAFT, I've, I just read a SAFT the other day that actually offered like a 50 percent discount with a much bigger lockup. Well, it's not uncommon. You see that, I'm sure. And the reason that is, is because to have two separate types of players or, you know, LPs long-term versus short-term, but it's still something that, that needs to be figured out down the road. And I do think that VC, the whole VC and private equity world is going to be completely changed by crypto down the road. But, um, Kyle, how can, how can my listeners follow you, your readings, your writings? Like what's your Twitter? Yeah. So super easy to follow me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is my name. So at Kyle Samani, K-Y-L-E-S-A-M-A-N-I. Um, and then, uh, the multi-coin blog, it's got tons of stuff. So just multi-coin. Great reading on the multi-coin blog too. Thank you, Charlie. Um, and so we publish stuff there. And if you go to our website and you want to subscribe to our newsletter, uh, there's like an email box. You can just throw, throw your email in there. Awesome. Thanks for taking the time and coming on untold stories today. Hey, Charlie, thanks for having me on the show. Glad to share the story.